I'm here with Gar Reynolds, he's the author of Presentation Zen and various other books, but in terms of introducing maybe Gar, do you want to tell us a bit about who you are? Myself, yes, yeah. okay, thank you for having me. I am an American who has lived in Japan for 21 years and that's my home. Uh, I'm a professor of design and management at Kansai Gaida University and yes, I've written books on presentation design and delivery. And I conduct seminars and do keynote addresses. And I do a lot of presentations. I see a lot of presentations. Uh, from, and I've gone all over the world and seen you know, that culture plays a role in that too. But I, I think I've seen it all. So the, the thing about presentations, what you do, you're going around the world telling people how to do presentations. Not telling them. No, advising. I, I, I would never tell anyone. Inspiring people. But no, I like that word, yeah. yeah. Often... Um, I think a lot of people see your stuff and it seems like common sense once they've seen it. But it is common sense, but yeah. the thing is that common sense is not common practice. I no. mean, a lot of this stuff, I mean, think about every business book that's been written, most of it, even the good ones. You go, what? I know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you don't do that. And sometimes we just need reminding. I mean, that's all you think about, it, like, even, even if you look at some religions or philosophies like Buddhism or Zen. Uh, you know, you read it, you go, well, that's just practical. That's, that's all it is about. It's about mm -hmm. practicality. It's about what's concrete but we kind of lose track of that. And sometimes you need someone to point you back and say, well, this is what's important. So what, why do you think we lose track of it? I mean, I've never quite cracked up with this or any business skills or life skills. Well, let's just you know, focus on technology. So everyone, you know, that's always the buzz. We love social media, we love technology. And so the new, any new gadget comes out, any new piece of software, that's what everyone focuses on. Oh, this is the greatest thing, let's, let's, let's go nuts. And we forget that... While technology has evolved, you know, very rapidly, the you know the human soul, <laughs> human communication hasn't evolved. That's we're basically the same, and so you, you can't lose that connection. We focus too much on the tools, and PowerPoint's a great example where it's just become, you know, comical, right? The death by PowerPoint thing, yeah. which still goes on. We call it death by PowerPoint. It's it still continues. Nobody says this is good communication. The, Cognitive sciences show, no, this is not how you should do it. This is not learning, but we, we still do it. And we just get so you know, focused on the tools, new, new gadgets. And the software companies perpetuate that. So Microsoft will always come out with a new, improved PowerPoint with 35% more features. Yeah. And what we need is 85% less. Yeah. But they don't have, no, no one has the courage to introduce software that does less. Because one of the slides you have in your sessions is about um, talking about the old slide carousels. Yeah. Make, was was time was was that almost a better way of preparing presentations because you've got to think about exactly. what's going to be on that slide because you can't oh, edit good, it a thousand times. Exactly, that's a really good point. Uh, and it was we in those days. What we would do is, yeah, it's it's all paper and chalkboards and all that. And then we get our ideas down, and we would draw a picture of a photo that we want. Then we go out and take photos, which are expensive. Uh -huh. And two weeks later, yeah, we get a slide. Yeah. And then you organize that, and then you make a, maybe an audio track, a musical track, or some interviews that you did to put in there. I mean, what we did was very much like what you saw today, except it was you know, much more laborious, but it was actually just, just as good, and maybe in some ways better, because like you say, it didn't take, we didn't just open the computer and start putting in crap. We had to really, really think about it. And few people did it. I mean, it was so hard that few people did it, and when they saw it, they go, wow. I mean, yeah. no, hardly anyone did that. We're talking 25 years ago. Yeah. Really great slide presentations. We had the, I mean, had it cross dissolve, fade yeah. to black, yeah. and it was brilliant. But there's no, is, is anybody making tools these days where they're apparently stripping out features? Because no. You know, but you know, again, I, I don't. I always say it doesn't matter which 
tool you use because it's the wrong question. I think we should focus on the ideas and all that. But having said that, if you use an Apple computer, and you don't have to, but if you are, then Keynote is one of the, it is simpler, simpler to use. It has m far fewer features, but the features that it does have are, are the right ones, mm -hmm. and they're the good ones. And, it, and again, I'm not having to go at PowerPoint, but they have so many transitions. Well, let's look at movies. I don't know. I mean, making films is really a cool thing to do for, yeah. for anyone. But if you look at a professional film, a documentary, anything, there's very few transitions. So there's a cross-dissolve, a fade to black, and then usually just a cut, cut to a new cut, 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 mm -hmm. cut. That's all it is. I mean, if you watch a TV commercial, if you watch a movie tonight, so that's maybe two or three. That's all you need. And yet, if you open up iMovie or any of them, there'll be a hundred. And you can go to third party, 5,000 transitions. Wow! <laughs> and like, a professional doesn't use any of that. It's yeah, all cliche, it's all noise. It, it all detracts from the story. Yeah. And we had a few people asking questions today about, yeah, yeah, this is great what you're saying, but I haven't got the time. You know, and I've got to turn these things out. And, well, and, and yeah, <laughs> how do we stop them you know, they still need to yeah. try and adopt something, but if they're, if they're under time pressure, what, well, what's then, the solution? Well, then, then it's easy. You say, well, I don't have the time. Well, then don't, no, don't turn it out. Then don't make slides. You don't have I the time to do that. Yeah, that's a good answer. Then stop doing that. Sort of like the old thing, doctor, it hurts when I do this. Well, well then stop doing that. Yeah. So if the question is, oh, my, that's great, but I don't have time. So how can I do that, you know, given the time constraints? And the answer is you don't. You, you can't. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. So instead you say, okay, I have three hours. What can I do? Then it's probably far, maybe just a couple of visuals uh, or quantitative displays. Uh, most of it, you probably just write out some notes and then use the chalkboard. Yeah. I mean, that's how I went to university. And it was very engaging. The professor rarely turned her head, but she might sometimes write a yeah. key date or a diagram, allegory of the cave. Remember, we all studied that and <laughs> write that down. I get the feeling people are not brave enough in, in my area to use a whiteboard or a chalkboard anymore. I think that... It's almost assumed that if they're management, they're going to do a PowerPoint presentation, and, and yet, you know, just writing down those three words is more engaging than having a slide that's been pre-written. Right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, this really came true uh, or dawned on me uh, when I saw a presentation maybe seven, six years ago, and two two presentations, Japanese presenters but speaking in English, and one used awful PowerPoint, typical, but he himself was pretty engaging, so it was okay. But the other guy, who wasn't as articulate, but he did his best, but he did it on the whiteboard, that was far more engaging. There was no technology to get in the way. We weren't reading slides. It was somewhat visual because he had, he had some statistics, but he also had some diagrams, yeah. some maps. But at, and sometimes during Q&A, so it would be this, oh, that reminds me, and then he would, you know, it's more spontaneous. Because it's instant editing. You're, you're, yeah. you're creating the presentation at the speed. It's, well, you're creating it as you think about it, yeah. but also you're... Because you're creating it as you speak, your audience can't read the whole slide by the time you've said the first. Oh, sure. Well, that's the, that's the other thing. If you put it all up there, I've already read it. Why am I here? Yeah. Why are you there? Yeah. <laughs> Let's call this whole thing off. Yeah. You mentioned Japan. No, so you live in Japan, and your yes. book and your sessions draw a lot from Japanese culture. What is mm. it? What, what, what's so special about Japan? Why? Well, you know, compared to where I'm, you know, from the United States, it's a very young country. So I'm fascinated by its depth and its breadth. It's very deep and, and wide. And there's a lot to be learned from the Zen arts, and, you know, like Sado and, and, and Sumie, which has a lot of parallels, almost a parallel universe with jazz as well. How, for example, you can't sometimes say it, so you have to express it through art. 
There's some things you just, you, you can't. That's actually, in a way, what art is for, I, I suppose. Mm. It's because you can't say it, I can't write it, but through art I, I can express it. And there's so many things you can learn from that, whether it's painting or, or music or architecture, that we can apply to, even to presentations or, or a website. So one of those things would be like uh, well, empty space. And in case mm. designers, of course, this is so elementary, but for most people, they have no idea what is empty space. So they see it and they want to fill it. I mean, most people don't understand design for their house, so they see an empty wall, let's fill it. Yeah. Right? And you know, you might have a nice piece of art. If you have two pieces of art, great, they can be appreciated. If you have 20 pieces of great art, it's all lost. Right? So there's some magic, and it's the same with music as well, right? If you put too much in there, yeah. or if there's no slow, you can't have fast if there's no slow. You can't have quiet if there's no you know, um, softness. The, uh, the session today was the um, the presentation is there to give what cannot be said. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, fundamental. Exactly, yeah. As long as you take that as a first principle, then you're on the road to making a decent presentation. It's something more than you can give yourself. So there shouldn't mm -hmm. be a lot of text up there. There shouldn't be something that you can articulate yourself. So you're using media right. that you can't come out of your mouth. So you're using imagery. Right. Uh, films and stuff um, all the media and it's scalable yeah. you know you give a presentation to 300 people well, your presentation it, yeah. might have a certain weight yeah. but um, you might not want to do if you're giving a presentation to 20 people every week you might just scale it down so it should be sort of like achievable right. and scalable um, as well you know it isn't just about the, the content content of course is important but it isn't mm. just the information because writing that down perfectly which we have more time to do and then giving that out and then saying you 300 people read that, you know, and check this box and make sure you read that. If, if that's all it was, that would be easier. But of course, there's something beyond that when we face-to-face -face with people. It is all the media, the, the video, the audio, but it's also just this, I don't know what you call it, but this sort of exchange. It's the connection between me and the audience, but also the audience members to each other, which feeds yeah. back to me, which is why Jazz Live is so, so great, because it's a no negotiation for meaning between the players but also the audience. And sometimes, you know, the listeners... It, it, it's an amazing thing that you can't really explain. And that's why we come together in a room. It's, it's the Q&A, of course, but it's more than that. It's just there's some sort of different element. And actually, Chris Anderson, if I, I recommend a great presentation who talks about this, the curator of TED, Chris Anderson, talks about this on the power of online video and presentation. So rather than, you know, just a, a blog post and text, if you have a say, a 10-minute presentation of your thing, right? Because you're into music and whatever, you have a point you want to make. You take a video of yourself playing guitar or whatever and explaining things. That has so much more power than you writing a really tight article about it. Even though it may be a great article, but you talking, your personality, your yeah. uh, inspiration and passion, plus you playing the guitar and all this stuff, and then put that on a website, millions of people could see it. And that just resonates. I mean, I guess that's the key word is resonance, mm. and you can get that. That's why we come to a presentation. And students shouldn't stand for a lecture where you go in and there's 100 people, and I don't think you have that kind of thing probably at Oxford, but at the big, at, you know, at the massive universities, at, you know, there'll be 500 people in yeah. the lecture hall, where the professor is this tiny person, way down there, looking at his notes and just, you know, wah, 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 like the parents in the little Peanuts yeah. cartoons. And students shouldn't stand for that because it's got to be more than just the professor going through content. So the student to. doesn't know any better. Well, well, maybe, well maybe, they, maybe they do, but you know, they've gone through school and they get to lecture and it's not until 
you know, at what stage do they think, hang on, I need to no, you're ask right. for more from my you're university. Right. They, don't, they don't know better because they haven't experienced yeah. much different. I mean, it's changing because students are wising up. And I didn't know any better. I, I was yeah. lucky because I studied philosophy and so my classes were very small. But I did have some large classes because you have to take physics and biology and things. And yeah, I didn't get much from those. I didn't really enjoy them, 200 no. people in the class. But the small ones, I, I really did. Yeah. And now looking back, I teach university, so now I can see and most of the professors, even at my school, or a lot of them, they're really good, but a lot of them still use the old lecture, yeah. didactic I mean, it might approach. be things are changing because kids are growing up with social media and technology at home that just works and enables them to communicate and share things instantly at home. And then they're coming to university, and if that, if that experience can be recreated at university, that's great. If it can't, maybe they're going to start demanding it. And it's a shame when they get into the business world. They're used to just things working and you know, they're not business yeah. things slow down. And are, uh, so maybe each generation, mm. maybe the next generation will be more demanding. I think it is. I mean, everyone always talks about a revolution, but I, I think this is, right now we're, we're in it. Things are changing. Education hasn't really changed. Did, we, did I talk to you this morning about this? I can't we remember. Did. did we already talk about this? Oh, I'll walk up to keyboard, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a long time ago. I mean, I talk about it all the time, and Sir Ken Robinson talks about this, and, you know, and brain scientists are talking about this, and how it, we've been doing it this way for a long time, but that's because few people had knowledge. I mean, there was always the, the few chosen, the elites, the yeah. scholars, and then if we were lucky, they would stand up and we could listen to them. But it's much different now. I mean, it can't just be information. Where's my iPhone? I can get yeah. any information I want anytime. Yeah. So information isn't the power so much. It's all the other things, which are much more talent-based. It's, it's your ability to take information and create, well, use your creativity to... Yeah. create value and indifference and discoveries. How do you think things will change then uh, for, for, for the institution? Yeah, I think it'll be more uh, collaboration. I mean, who knows? I mean, Bill Gates got it all wrong too, so and who am I to say what the future's <laughs> going to be like? Yeah. But I think there'll be, more, uh, <laughs> there'll be more collaboration, and I think you can learn from that. And there's some science on this. You can, you know, it has to be guided from you know, a well a knowledgeable professor. You can't just put people in a room and then have them come up with it all on their own, but with good guidance, putting students together to create things, to discover, you know, as a group, I think is much more powerful. And it replicates the real, the real world. And yeah. I always tell my students, I mean, since I left university, which was a very good experience for me, I still have learned loads more since I left. And I've read more books, I've done more work, and it's all come totally, you know, intrinsically. Yeah, and the extrinsic motivation of I was paying a lot of tuition and I had fear of failure and all that I mean it was good it was a good experience but it's funny how looking back I still have worked harder on my own because I have a thirst for knowledge but I credit my professors probably with that and I think that's our, our job in large measure is to you know inspire them to be hungry right? they're naturally hungry I think for knowledge yeah. our, our job is to sort of push that along <laughs> and, and not douse their, their natural curiosity yeah. And then send them off. Yeah. And then, geez, they can. There's a billion books. There's there's videos. There's whatever. Yeah. Again, I always pull up Yoda because he's such a good role model. Yeah. He, he would point the way, but you ultimately have to find it. Yeah. yeah. And when you come up with a well, which is probably an unwise answer or an, an answer he knows is not the wise. He wasn't. Mm, mm, so certain are you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah.
I mean, it's the same thing. A great professor should allow you to, to just like a good parent, you, you're watching your child, but you allow them to discover yeah. and do whatever they can. So long as they don't hurt themselves, you'll just yeah. let them go wherever they want. Yeah. Whereas some parents are so afraid, you know, don't play, sit there, yeah. watch TV. Yeah. Right? And that's not <laughs> how you learn. Yeah. But the thing about uh, <laughs> when you know too much, you stop seeing the root. So this thing about if you can push students so along a certain yes. path, they might go down the wrong alley, but actually that might wrong alley. Might, it then you know that might yeah. open up other. Things. That's a good point. The, you know? the curse of knowledge. I think yeah. actually the the, the what are they call yeah. Uh, the, anyway, in Made to Stick, they talk about uh, the curse of knowledge, which we all have, right? So, well, I've tried that, been there, done that. Mm. So don't bother. But that's mm. that's not right because there's a lot of emotion and prejudice often with that, or maybe yeah. we just we didn't see it, or times have changed, or whatever. So, yeah, there's a danger in that. You need a very special kind of uh, of professor or teacher who's you know very knowledgeable, obviously, as you say, but also doesn't have the ego. Mm. You know what I mean in the negative sense. I mean, yeah. when you're supremely confident in yourself as a, as a person, as a professor, you, you just don't you don't care about pride and ego. Yeah. And you've, you've got a new book out, The Naked Presenter. What's, um, what's, what's the thing in the new book? What's well, it's more about delivery. So the first, well, the first one was you know, Presentation Zen, which is kind of everything, uh, but although it had a lot of design in it. The second one, Presentation Zen Design, was all about design for non-designers, but design concepts that... that it, my, my premise is if professors and business people that were, who are not designers understood design better, the world would be a better place. Mm-hmm for designers who have to work with them, but for everyone. And then the Naked uh, Presenter is about delivery. And it's, it has a lot on preparation at the beginning, but um, you know, how to connect with an audience. And the, it's called Naked because Hadaka no Tsukiyai is the Japanese term, which means naked communication or naked, we're all the same. So it means uh, it's a metaphor for removing the barriers. When you soak naked, which is what we do in Japan, you don't have to do it. It's, you go to onsen, the hot springs, and it's a custom because there's just thousands of natural hot springs. It's a beautiful, relaxing custom that they have. But when you remove, I mean, when you're naked, if the three of us were sitting around, rather than this table, which is a barrier, but sitting you know, up to our chest in very hot water, we could still do this podcast, and it might be different. It might be more honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds good. That sounds good. Especially well, today, because minus it's two, minus two. Yeah. <laughs> what about nerves? That's one question. My colleagues are always like, it's all very well this guy on Reynolds talking about all this stuff. What if you're nervous? Well, every, it's normal to be nervous. You'd be um, crazy if you weren't nervous. I think everyone, it's natural. I mean, that's we've evolved, well, millions of years, but certainly hundreds of thousands of years. That's how we've evolved, right? Because to stand out is a threat. I mean, our brain is designed to keep us alive. So we like um, opportunities and we hate <laughs> threats. To stand out among a crowd is a threat because the lion can get you or, or when everyone is looking at you, that's a threat. Kill the different guy. So it's natural. That's sort of in our DNA. So one thing you can do is to say to, say to yourself when you get nervous that uh, I am nervous. Don't say it to the audience. That's the last thing you want to say because if you make them, if you say I'm nervous to them, they will feel nervous and they will feel uncomfortable. But if you say it to yourself, well, I'm nervous, that's a natural thing. But there's something about just saying that, it's called labeling. Just mm-hmm. the, the very fact of that removes a little bit of the anxiety. And then, of course, there's state. It's a, it's a state, so mm-hmm. it's physical, too. So just go out and do some exercise, you know, punch out a wall, whatever you need to do if you're really, be, you're really nervous about it. But 
for me, what's worked, I mean, now I don't get so, so no. nervous, you know, and I'll, I'll present it for 5,000 people and it just, because I don't think of 5,000 people, I just, it's contribution. And I, and I don't care if they like me or not. And so once you, and I don't mean that in a flippant way. I, I want to make a contribution. All I can do is the best that I can do. Yeah. And I can't do any better than that.